Jack and Jill here. Hello. Welcome to the Land Academy Show, entertaining land investment talk. I'm Stephen Jack Butella. I'm Jill DeWitt, broadcasting from the Valley of the Sun. Today, well, it's Jill Friday, and she's going to talk about why non-techies make great land investors. Thank you. As I alluded to yesterday, because of the nature of the business that you developed years and years and years ago, the whole underlying theme of using data and mail and all kinds of technical things, we naturally attract really smart, brainy, PhD, uh, you know, engineering types of people. But there's a subset within Land Academy, I like to think that I'm partially responsible for, of those of us who don't necessarily think that way, and we smash it. And I want to talk about that today. Before we get into it, let's take a question posted by one of our members on the landinvestors.com online community. It's free. Back in the day, it was almost impossible to find a piece of land without a mailing address like 123 Main Street. Why? Because the post office didn't assign and has still hasn't assigned the vast majority of pieces of real estate in this country. They don't need to and nobody gets mail there. So instead, we decided to make this database of 150 million properties or so in the uh, country finite instead of infinite. And we put together a website called neighborscoop.com. So all you need is the state, the county, and the assessor's parcel number to find just about any property in the entire country. And we've added a bunch of things to it to make it uh, make a lot of sense for Land Academy type people as far as analyzing property to see if you want to buy it really quickly. All right, back to our question. Corey wrote, as a newbie, one topic that I'd like to see covered is what phase two due diligence looks like. We're gonna do that next week in Career Path. <laughs> the weekly member calls are amazing for what seeing for seeing what phase one due diligence is all about, but I've not come across anything that breaks down some of the things we should be looking for in phase two. I believe I have a pretty good idea, but I'd love to have a podcast to reference. You know, it's funny, I did a, I did a deep dive on this mm -hmm. on, a, in, on a, li a Facebook Live event. Um, I've done phase one and phase two, due diligence. Things. So if you dig in our community, you'll find it. So phase, okay, so let me back up. What's phase one due diligence? That's the thing that you spend five to 15 minutes on, five if you're me, 15 minutes if you're new, checking a property when it comes in to see if you wanna buy it and see if it passes your test to move it forward in the process as an acquisition. That's where you cover all the six A's and, and like I said, if it passes those, now you push it forward. What are the six A's? You want me to go into that much detail here? Sure. The six A's are really simple. It's uh, access, uh -huh. affordability. Uh -huh. Is it cheap enough to buy? Uh, attributes. Is it cool? Are there fun stuff around it like Las Vegas or is it in the middle of a subdivision, which is cool too? Or is it in the middle of nowhere? Not so cool. Acreage. Acreage. Bigger is better almost always. Alive. Alive. Is the person that owns the property alive or do you have to undo a bunch of legal stuff? No. And adjacent. 
and adjacent. What is immediately next to the property? which leads you to phase two mm -hmm. due diligence. So if it passes all that stuff, now you're going to move it forward to phase two. So I'm not, this is not, this could be a whole different podcast. So I'll, I'll touch on it lightly and maybe let's make it a whole different podcast next week yeah. and we can deep dive a little bit more. Phase two is it passes all those things, but I'm not quite sure if the person, you know, I see my buyer as a hunter and I want to make sure it's big enough or I'm, it looks like I've got physical, physical access, but I'm not quite sure about physical and legal access so these are things that come up in phase one that you need to do a deeper dive in phase two so that's what phase two is phase two is getting to the bottom of it phase two and one of the questions that often comes up say you've got all the five a's not 100 sure on the pricing but your initial gut is yeah i think it's good so i move it forward phase two due diligence with pricing is now i'm gonna do a deep dive i'm gonna spend an hour on this i'm gonna call a couple brokers i'm gonna get their opinion on it that's gonna answer my questions so that's what phase two is calling the county calling a broker doing some more deep diving on your own something like that to make sure this is a good acquisition that's for right. you the what i don't want you to do in phase two due diligence phase one and phase two due diligence is in the course of a 40-hour work week two hours of your time it is not 20 hours of your time because if you're spending 20 hours of your time on on trying to solve something then it, you probably shouldn't have, you shouldn't be there it's not passing the tests and, and you're looking too hard and now you're trying to what, what happens too if you're spending 20 hours of due diligence phase two due diligence on a property you're trying to make it fit into a mold you're trying mm -hmm. to like oh but i can overcome this that's yeah. what you're doing now and you shouldn't be doing it Phase two due diligence in a, in a single word for me is use. I'm going to confirm. Uh, it passed all my phase one. Now I'm going to confirm in, in phase two due diligence. Can the property be used effectively how I want it to be used? It's surrounded all by house around houses. It's an info lot. Well, can I use this property effectively to build a house on it? Effectively, meaning I don't have to massively adjust grading or there's not wet or all of that. So it's just confirming use. You know, wet's not necessarily, it's not bad at all if you're, if you're going to sell it as duck hunting property. Mm -hmm. And on and that's on and another, on. It's, that's it's exactly all, a good it, example of what things that we do in phase it's two. It's use, yeah. Mm -hmm. Phase two, yes, yeah, so for use, maybe the money, maybe the, mm -hmm. maybe uh, uh, dig a little more into the wetland situation. Uh, I need to get some eyes on it. That's another one doing slope. All those things yeah. are phase two. Today's Jill Friday. She's going to talk about why non-techies make great land investors. This is the meat of the show. Okay. I'm not a data nerd. No offense. None taken. I'm not a spreadsheet. I was born this way. Geek. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a spreadsheet PhD. Um, but you know what? I do just fine. And if it were, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as good. Well, let me tell you, actually I would be as good because I would find you. So here's the deal. You're coming, if you're coming into this because you, of the two of us, you identify most with me and you know there's something there and you're like, I don't know if I can do this because I don't have a jack. Well, you can find a jack. So here's, here's what I want you to think about and here's why I'm doing this talk today. Non-techies make great land investors because A, um, we may not have those exact skills, but I think we do a pretty good job of taking a step back, assessing the big picture, and 
and knowing how to what holes we need to fill kind of thing. That's number one. And I think too, we're good at setting goals to fill those, to fill those holes. So for example, I'm a Jill, you're, you're a me. You're like, I could talk on the phone all day long. I can't get this data out, but I heard you guys have concierge. That's going to solve my problems. Ding, ding. You didn't even have to take on a partner, by the way, you just solved your problem. That's a really good example of how you are an effective land investor um, in this business. Number two, we have other skills. We have, as you know, uh, you know, we're so good at fill in the blank. For me, it's talk on the phone. I love selling. All those things are really valuable skills. And anybody who is a techie will say that I need, I need you. I need that. It's hard for me to do my job, you know? And there's some people in Land Academy that are really techie, really good. They use Pat Live and they can get, that's how they get their phones answered. But even when they call them back, they're not as effective. They're not as good as having somebody that can really talk to these sellers and get on their level because, and maybe they're just, they don't want to talk on the phone at all. There's a lot of people that just are so good with numbers and they can type and they communicate that way. But gosh, picking up the phone, they're lost and they're missing out on deals. So that's, that's another skill that, that we have and that we're really good at. And then my third thing is with why I think non-techies make great land investors is, is we don't, we're not going to get bogged down on trying to create perfect data. I see an experience, you know, I'm talking about many very smart PhD level and real PhD people that take data to a new level and they can get lost in it sometimes. Sometimes it holds them up from getting the mail out because it's going to be perfect, man. I am going to spend a month on this and it's going to be beautiful and perfect. And then, and then in that month, what I could have got out in the mail and how, what deals I could have done and conversations I could have had. And what if I did do it wrong? I screwed it up. But you know what? I was able to talk my way through it and get on the same page with this person. And I realized I offered $5,000 too much, too much. And I got this person and they, and and we're on the same page. And I tell them nicely, I I goofed. I can't pay that much, but I can pay this. And we, I forge this relationship because of how I talk and communicate with and build a relationship with a seller. So I got what I wanted. I'm, I'm off and running. Every business has components, every single business. So, uh, and you, very often, all the components are dealt with and um, created by the person who start up, starts the company, the startup person. I'm a startup person, and I'm happy to do all of that stuff myself in the very beginning, knowing full well that once the thing gets going, it's got its own revenue, and, and it's, it's, it's become its own thing, which is my goal as a startup person, that I'm, I'm going to either exit out of the thing completely, uh, or I'm going to put these people in place and continue to be the owner and not really work that that that's my comfortable space in the world in my professional world but what I think gets lost sometimes is that those components to any company like let's say it's a manufacturing company you've got um, a person that can sell whatever you're manufacturing can sell it to people who need it the components you have a shop manager who can actually run the shop and run the people that work in the shop that make the components you have the people that are actually working there to make the components it's very very rare on a long-term basis that that's all one person if it is 
you, you can't, you're never going to succeed to the point where it, you could succeed because you can't make all the parts that are necessary. You, you have to delegate and you have it, these components all have to work together. This business is no different. So Jill's piece of this or my piece of this, they're essential. It's not an option to just, and I, and we've had people in the past come to us and say, who are Jacks? I sent out a hundred thousand letters and I expect to get 25 or 30 of them back signed. Uh, I expect to take that purchase agreement hand it without t- ever talking to the seller, hand it to the escrow agent and have get, get the deal done. Then I'm going to take it over here, put it, give it to the real estate agent. They're going to sell it and give me my money. This doesn't work that way at all. Jill's part of this is essential. And my part of this is essential. Mm-hmm. And if you're uh, lucky enough to be both, you're going to get away. And I am quite honestly, both of those, but I, and I got away with it for a while in that startup phase until I realized it's just not going to work the way it should unless I find a partner who can close these deals, essentially. So I would not have written the title this way, but I think it's really, really effective the way uh, Jill wrote the title. I just mm-hmm. think both components are really, really essential. And if you happen to be the person who's like, I'm going to join Land Academy and I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and you don't want to do mailers anymore, there's options. Yep. Or if you're like me, I'm going to join Land Academy, but I don't want to talk on the phone. There's options. Right. Whether whether you outsource it or take on a partner, you have options. That's my main point. I really wanted to get this out there because I want non-techies to know there's a place for you here, too. Well, I think you could be the leader, the ringleader. That's, you know. there you go. Thank I, you for I think, that. honestly, in most cases, yeah. I think the tech person, uh, I mean, the, uh, you know, the, the salesperson, whatever you would call it, mm-hmm. is the driver. I think those those are the people who have the dynamic personality and the ones that are seeking a better life and, and looking around and saying, I'm I'm selling all this stuff for somebody else and uh, creating a huge amount of equity for them, not me. I can go sell over here. I just need to get a couple of jacks involved. I couldn't have said it any better. I'm going to leave it on that. <laughs> Happy to join us today. Five days a week, you can find us here on the Land Academy Show. Join us next week for another interesting episode. You're not alone in your real estate ambition. That was perfect. Thanks for that that um, th- that recap. <laughs> I think that honestly, uh, we I in the past sent the message that answering the phone was optional. I mean, way in the distant past, mm. it's just not the case. No. To it get there, you know, it might have been we got away with it with doing real small deals, maybe uh, you know in the desert. But to get the really good buy for forty, sell for a hundred. You need to be on the phone. Well, you know what? If you don't answer your phone, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah, totally. That's the bottom line. We We are Jack Jack and Jill. Jill. Information. And inspiration. To buy undervalued property.